Well, here we are into Advent. It's a favourite season of mine. And from the chat, I can see that it's a favourite season for various of us. I wonder how many of us have already put up our Christmas trees, uh, putting out our decorations. We're really looking forward to, as a family this afternoon, our Families Together uh, celebration, which will be very much focused on Advent. And I know various families in the life of the church have taken this afternoon's activities as a good excuse to put their trees up, perhaps earlier than they otherwise would do. Well, today we journey into a new sermon series as a church, and we're really excited about this series. I think it's going to be a great way for us to finish the year. For those of you I don't know, my name's uh, Chris Brockway. I have the real joy of being involved in the leadership of the church here at CBC and the privilege this morning of opening up God's Word for us. Well, we all know what it's like, don't we? We're wide awake in the middle of the night. And why are we wide awake? What is it that we're doing? Well, we're worrying, of course. We're feeling anxious. We're feeling panicked. Sometimes that anxiety is caused by an actual event. Maybe we made an embarrassing blunder. Maybe we've made an insensitive oversight. Perhaps you've missed a a relative's birthday or something like that. Maybe, which is my common problem, you've made a stupid comment and then you lie awake all night worrying about that comment. Or maybe you've made a hurtful jibe. Perhaps during the last nine months, some of us have not been sleeping well because the pandemic has been on our minds in the early hours. We've been thinking, well, what will Christmas be like? Are we in the right tier that we should actually be in? Is the science even right and are our politicians leading us well? We have good reasons to feel anxious. Of course, more often than not, what actually keeps us awake at three o'clock in the morning is not what actually has happened so much as what might happen. Well, of course, the story goes on, doesn't it? You wake up at three o'clock feeling anxious and by four o'clock, you're on to feeling anxious about your anxiety. I wonder, does that ever happen to you or is it just me? Well, of course, just to make your anxiety worse, when you're a Christian, inevitably, you probably start adding some guilt onto your anxiety about your anxiety. Your guilt comes because you start thinking thoughts like this. Well, if I was a better Christian, then I would be counseling myself to just let it go and just give it all over to God. Surely that's what better Christians do. Maybe you start thinking to yourself, well, Jesus just said, consider the lilies of the field. I should just consider the lilies. And when I think about the lilies, all my worries will disappear. Maybe if you were a better Christian, you might convince yourself that you would stop worrying and you would simply just enter into prayer. Well, of course, such advice can smack of insensitivity, can't you? Can't it? And if you hear that advice, perhaps it might make you want to smack the person who's giving it to you, which might make you feel momentarily better. But the trouble is, people who give advice like this, and as as annoying as they can be, are simply paraphrasing the Bible, God's word. So when they speak about the lilies of the field, all they're simply doing is speaking about Jesus' word from the Sermon on the Mount, where he spoke about sparrows and lilies of clothes, and therefore do not worry. Paul's words in Philippians chapter 4, which Oscar read to us a few moments ago. Listen again to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 to 7. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will, it's a promise, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
Now, of all the amazing words that are captured in Philippians, and I would encourage you to read them, uh, read the book, there are many, it's these verses from chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, which are the ones that are probably most likely to be cross-stitched and then hung somewhere in your home. But this much-loved passage, whilst it's enticingly hopeful and it's entirely true, hear me on that, it can still feel hopelessly patronizing, can't it? Does it really work that easily? Well, my experience in the early hours of the morning would suggest not. And yet, this is the word of God, and it's true because God is always true to his word. In short, the Apostle Paul was saying this, if you've trusted trusted in Jesus Christ, then your guaranteed future hope in Christ, your guaranteed tomorrow that Jesus is looking after tomorrow is naturally reason enough not to anxiously carry the burden of the future yourself. In a sense, Paul is saying here, lift your eyes from the immediate towards the horizon and your perspective will change. Well, such a guarantee that God holds the future, that God is looking after my tomorrow, provides Paul with an incentive. He's momentarily, momentarily digressed to um, talk about issues of church conflict in the Philippian church in verses 1 to 3. And then Paul starts to speak out this really obvious command that comes in verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord. And just in case he wasn't clear or we missed it in his first hearing, he then says it again, rejoice, rejoice. Joy repeated, repeat the sounding joy. And of course, this is so much more, isn't it, than just a command to be merely happy. It's an encouragement. It's an invitation to come to a place of worship. In short, Paul is saying here, celebrate God all day, every day, because worship will keep your worries in perspective. Now, I don't know if you've ever noticed this. Do you remember the days way back when we used to be allowed to gather to worship together as a church? Maybe you discovered back then that worship is a great antidote to worry. How many of us, maybe even this morning, even online, have sensed our troubles dissipating or at least finding perspective as we've joined with others, albeit online, to praise God this morning? Have you ever tried putting on a a worship CD or, or listening to some teaching or just going for a long walk and wowing at God's creation when you feel burdened with worry? Worry somehow in those moments starts to leak away because there's this link between worship and worry. You see, worship, and I don't just mean singing here, worship and worry are incompatible. They are mutually exclusive. A chap called Dan Wilt has suggested that we should do this, and I love this. Worship until your worry is absorbed into the presence of God. Worship until your worry is absorbed into the presence of God. Isn't that a lovely thought? That the flood of our worry can be mopped up by the sponge of God's very presence. God is a big sponge, plenty big enough to mop up all of your concerns and your anxieties and your worries. You see, we starve worry when we feast on worship. A great little anacronym for you to remember is WOW! W-O-W, wow, worship over worry. You see, worship acknowledges the right order of the universe and it places things in its proper perspective. And all of that brings us really nicely to verses six to seven. Paul says, don't worry, 
pray and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Well, worry for many of us has become a way of life, hasn't it? For many of us, I'm guessing in the years to come, we're going to look back at the year 2020 and we're going to define 2020 as being the year of worry. And our sense as we add into this teaching series is actually we want to redeem this year and actually say we can end with joy in our hearts. We don't need to define it as the year of worry. When you think about it, even before COVID, we lived in an age of anxiety, didn't we? What can we do about our worry? Is it possible to even have a worry-less life? Does Christ actually make a difference? These are all really good questions. And of course, to answer those questions, most of us as Christians would say, yes, Jesus does make a difference. But I want to ask the follow-on question this morning. Is that your felt reality as you journey through life in faith with Christ? In our text today, the Apostle Paul gives us a number of commands to follow, and he tells us what we can expect as a promise, as a direct result of following those commands. Just maybe these commands, if we live them out as fully as we can, even with all of our human brokenness, so we're never going to do it perfectly, but even in our brokenness, maybe living out these commands is the secret to worry less living. Paul's argument actually is surprisingly simple. He's essentially saying as we put these principles into practice, our character will be further transformed into the likeness of Christ. And as our character is transformed, there'll start to be some telltale signs in our lives of life starting to show itself. And the first telltale sign that he speaks of is is the sign of rejoicing in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Paul, as ever, doesn't beat around the bush here, does he? He's saying God wants us to have and to experience joy in our lives. Now, maybe for some of us, that's a revelation, that sense that God wants us to have joy. Really? But actually, it shouldn't be a surprising thought to us. But I know for some Christians, it is. I've met plenty of grumpy Christians in my time. None of them, I should hasten to add, have ever been part of Christ Church Baptist Church. But not everyone believes that God wants us to have joy in our lives. Actually, some people see God as being a complete killjoy. They see him as being a crotchety old man just waiting for us to make a mistake so that he can smack our hand. But that's a colossal misunderstanding of who our God is. I remember Philip Yancey once saying that whenever someone comes up to him and says, well, do you know, Philip, I actually don't believe in God. He's got a brilliant reply. He says, well, well, tell me what kind of God you believe in. And I probably don't believe in that kind of God either. There are many misconceptions about who our God is, but he wants us to have joy. Now, of course, we know that joy and happiness are, are not the same thing. We know that happiness is a fleeting emotion that ranges from contentment to satisfaction to bliss to intense pleasure it comes and it goes but joy is something that is sustained joy is something that's transcendent joy is something that's deep within us we know from the bible too that jesus wants us to have joy one of my favorite bible verses john 15 verse 11 says this i've told you all this that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full or complete 
Jesus told us that he wants our joy to be full and complete, and he wants his joy to be within us. Joy, not happiness, significantly, is one of the fruit of the Spirit. Where you find the Spirit of God, you will find joy is present. John 10.10, another favorite Bible verse of of mine. Jesus says, I've come to give you life, and it's an abundant life. He didn't come to give us the capacity to merely exist or to endure a mediocre life, but he came to give us life, life abundant, life in its fullness, life to complete our joy, life in the spirit. And where the spirit is, we will find joy that is deep within us. It all sounds really good, doesn't it? In our text, we're told to rejoice, not sometimes or when we feel like it, but always Always, is this really possible? Can Paul really be serious in what he's saying here? Maybe you're thinking to yourself even right now, but Paul wasn't enduring COVID-19. Paul was not living through the midst of a pandemic that we're having not to enjoy, but to endure. I wonder if Paul would change his tune if he were living right here, right now in 2020. Well, the answer, of course, is he wouldn't change his tune. He'd still say the same thing. We need to remind ourselves that Paul, at the time of writing this letter, was enduring the misery of a Roman prison. This was no party. He was the victim of absolutely horrendous persecution. And yet somehow, in the midst of these difficult circumstances, Paul is still able to speak of joy and that he's got the joy of the Lord deep within him. Well, of course, if Paul means that we're supposed to rejoice for everything that happens to us, well, that's impossible, isn't it? Actually, that's not what he's saying, I don't think, here in the text. There's another writing of Paul in the scriptures in Thessalonians where we're told that we should give thanks to God in everything. We're not told to give thanks for everything, but we're told to give thanks in everything. And I think there's a big difference. So, for example, if I was to trip down the stairs on the way out of this place today and I was to break my leg, God doesn't expect me to give thanks to him for my broken leg. I wouldn't say, oh God, thank you so much for this broken leg, which hurts so much. But I might well say to God, well, thank you, God, that I didn't break my neck. It's a trivial example, but I hope it makes the point. You see, in every bad situation, there's something which we can be grateful for. We can always be thankful for God's mercy. It's lavish. We can always be thankful for God's grace. It's abundant. We can always be thankful for his love. It's unconditional. We can always be thankful for God's perfect provision in every single situation. We can always be thankful that God will even take the most difficult of circumstances and he'll use them for good. You see, if we've come to faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, even as we come to the end of a very, very difficult year, we've been blessed beyond that which we often realize. So all this leads me to a question. What is it that brings you joy? And my sense is that Paul would say to us, well, think about that. Meditate on that thing. Focus on that thing. Write it down Post it on your bathroom mirror so that you look at it every day and you remind yourself of what you have to be grateful for and then rejoice in it. I guess the temptation for many of us is to do the opposite. It's to make a list of all those things that are hard and tough and difficult. And we end up focusing on those things and not on those things that we can rejoice in. You see, if you do that, make a a list of rejoicing. As you begin to rejoice, you'll begin to be encouraged and your worries will Stop uh, dominating your thinking quite so much. 
I think the challenge from this first point is to ask God to give us a rejoicing heart, even in the most challenging and difficult circumstances we face, even as we come to the end of a year of this pandemic. This pandemic is going to interfere with Christmas and its new year, but it doesn't need to rob us of our joy. So the first uh, thing Paul is calling us to do is to rejoice. But then he goes on and says, let your gentleness be known to everyone. That's in verse 5. So what's this all about? What is gentleness? Well, the word that's used here in the the, um, New International Version translation, gentleness, is the the NIV's take on an untranslatable Greek word, which in other versions of the Bible is translated as reasonableness or forbearance or moderation, considerateness, magnanimousness, and, and, and good sense. This word generous is all about how we treat others. Uh, Sorry, gentleness is all about how we treat others. It's about being generous towards others. It's about a refusal to insist on the letter of the law. It's a willingness to take into account the failings and the limitations of others and to be forgiving towards them. And the motivation for this attitude of gentleness or this approach of gentleness is tucked in right at the very end of verse 5. Paul says, why be gentle? Because the Lord is near. Because the Lord is near. Now, when Paul slips this in, it's about as close to an an intentional double entendre as Paul ever gets. Because the phrase implies both time, the Lord is near to returning, as well as space, the Lord is nearby. Or as somebody's grandmother once humorously put it, wash your hands and say your prayers. Germs like Jesus are everywhere. Seems quite appropriate in the midst of a pandemic. So Jesus is both near in terms of time, but also near in terms of space. And Paul, as he uses this word gentleness here, is contrasting this word with other qualities, negative qualities, hostility, quarrelsome and harshness. He's saying, look, gentle people will seek peace rather than conflict. And when we seek peace rather than conflict, we'll end up worrying and having less anxiety. That's what he goes on to imply. Why why should we be gentle? Well, Paul doesn't actually provide a reason here exactly in Philippians chapter 4. But in one of his other letters in 2 Corinthians, he refers to the meekness and the gentleness of Jesus. We should be gentle because that's who our Savior is. And Paul is saying, look here, as we treat other people with grace-filled gentleness, they'll start to see Christ within us. And so gentleness is actually a very reliable sign that the life of Christ is at work in our lives as individuals, but too in our lives as Christians and as a church together. Think about your key relationships for just a moment, your relationship with your spouse or your children or your roommate or those who you work with, with others in the family of the life of the church here. Do you treat these people with gentleness or does your speech often come laced with harshness? You see, the more Christ is alive in us, the more we'll be known as gentle people. And that's one of the reasons to rejoice. And maybe like me, there's room for growth in this area in your life. So Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. And then he speaks about a telltale sign of life, which is number three, which is all about prayerfulness in verse six. He says, don't be anxious about anything. But the truth is we all have anxieties and our anxieties have anxieties. And then we wrap all that up in guilt. I wonder what are your anxieties today? 
What is it that you're worrying about? Maybe it's your job or your lack of a job. Maybe it's your money, your marriage, your children. Maybe it's about the past, the present. Maybe it's about the future. Perhaps you worry about your investments or your retirement, your health. Maybe even you find yourself today worrying about your relationship with God. But what good does all that worry do us? Of course, the answer is none, none whatsoever. The truth is we generally cannot change the things that we worry about. All of our worry is wasted time and wasted effort. The real antidote to worry is a simple trust in God. The real antidote to worry is to rejoice in God. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. But then he goes on to give some tips about how this is possible. He says, in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. In order to be really free from anxiety or to be free-er from worries, we need to develop this prayerful lifestyle. That's what makes an unanxious attitude possible. The message is really simple. Don't panic. Pray. Take the time that you would spend worrying and spend that time instead in prayer. Now, I know that's easier said than done, especially in the middle of the night. But that's the challenge here is to replace worry with prayer. Pray about everything. Pray in good times, bad times, ordinary times. Pray, pray alone. Pray together. Pray by asking, by thanking, by praising, confessing, adoring, and simply talking, spending time with God. I guess the challenge from this text, and I know it's easier said than done, is to pray so much that worry has to take a number and stand in line in the queue. You see, Paul's understanding of prayer here is prayer is a lifestyle, not simply prayer is an emergency response to a crisis situation. By prayer, we come to know God personally. By prayer, we come to be able to hear his voice. Prayer changes things and it changes me and it changes you. Prayer can make things happen and God answers prayer. Prayer is a lifestyle. That's why Paul says, pray about all things at all times. So rejoice, be gentle, pray. And what will happen? Well, Paul tells us in verse 7, he says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The unshakable peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. As we rejoice, as we seek gentleness, as we seek to spend time praying, as prayer is a lifestyle, what follows is a peaceful mind. There's a promise of unshakable peace. It's a peace that transcends all rational understanding. Listen to the words of Jesus in John chapter 14, verse 27. Jesus says, I'm leaving with you a gift. I'm leaving with you peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give isn't like the peace the world gives, so don't be troubled or afraid. Jesus wants us to have the kind of unshakable peace that sets us apart from others in the world. Whatever circumstances you might find yourself in today, rejoice in the Lord, make your request to God, and the promise is that the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. We're heading, aren't we, towards the end of what's been an incredibly challenging year. And you might well be with four weeks to go or whatever it is now, be thinking, well, this year is a write-off. 
I may as well not bother with this year. I just can't wait for it to be over. Over. Maybe 2021 will come and there'll be a vaccine and everything will be fine and I can get back to normal. But I want to encourage you not to write off 2020 because joy can still be found. Joy can still be rediscovered because it's a gift that God loves to give. So during this season of Advent, can I encourage you to join with me in rediscovering joy? Jesus gives it in abundance and there's plenty of it to be found. I want to encourage you to make a list of all those things that bring you joy and to meditate on them to remember them. As you make that list, it will grow and it will grow and it will grow. And it will help you keep perspective as we head to the end of this year. Let's rediscover joy this Advent season. And let's end 2020 knowing the abundance of the joy that our Saviour is able to give. Let's be still for a moment. Let's pray. And then I'm going to introduce a song uh, which will help us think a bit more about this theme. Lord, we thank you today for this truth that might be a fresh discovery for some of us, that you are the God of joy and you delight in joy. Lord, thank you for this reminder from our text this morning that joy is not happiness. Our happiness will come and go depending upon life circumstances, but your joy is deep and it's rich. Your joy transcends. Your joy is, a, is something that gives constantly when we're living in relationship and faith with Christ. And Lord, we acknowledge today that some of us are dealing with some really, really difficult things. We're wrestling with a pandemic that doesn't make any sense and causes confusion. Some of us are wrestling with grief and a sense of loss. Some of us are living in a place of deep sadness. But Lord, I want to pray that still we would know your joy Lord, we just spend a moment, just a moment, just worshipping you, praising you, saying, Lord Jesus, in all those areas where I'm struggling, where I'm finding it very difficult to get this kind of godly perspective that Paul spoke of, Lord, I pray, break into those circumstances. Break into those circumstances. And Lord, even if those circumstances don't, don't, don't disappear, Lord, in those circumstances, would we know the joy that's ours as a, as a gift, as a fruit of the Spirit, because of our relationship with Jesus. Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to uh, listen together to a song. I'd invite you to join in if you know the song. It might be unfamiliar to some of us. It's a hand-clapping song, and it's by Ren Collective, and it's called Joy. Listen to some of the lyrics. It says, we're choosing celebration. We're choosing celebration. We're breaking into freedom. We cast aside our shadows. We trust you with our sorrows. The pain will not define us. Joy will reignite us. You're the joy, 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 lighting my soul. You are the joy who is making me whole.